Hello and welcome to the Dance Teachers Tribe podcast. My name's Hayley, studio owner and founder of the Dance Teachers Tribe. Good morning, everyone. So I'm here today with Dawn, the Entree Money Coach, um, and she's going to give us a little bit of insight into how we can foolproof our studio finances um, after the crazy roller coaster of a summer season that we've just had. Hello, Dawn. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Uh, so a little bit of background. I found Dawn, I think it was on Instagram, actually, wasn't it? I think and um, followed her for a little while and loved all the amazing bits and pieces that she was putting up and had two, I think it was two sessions with you, didn't I? Um, to sort of see where all the holes were in my studio finances and just help make it a little bit more coronavirus proof ready for a comeback in September. So she's going to hopefully give you some hints and tips today on how you could do the same. Thank you. Yes. So the number one thing about what you were saying about holes in the profit leaks, um, dance studios are famous for having leaking out holes because we are creatives and we're so generous, generous to a fault where we will give away too many classes, we'll discount shoes, we discount things to the point where all of a sudden all of our profit is gone and it is not unusual at all to have things in your studio that are unfortunately losing money. And, you know, I know that we're all doing this because we're passionate. We want to teach children. We have a love of dance and we think that the arts belong to everybody. And that's true, but you should be able to eat and take a hot shower. <laughs> so, you <Yes>. can't do <laughs> so you can't do that, of course, if all of your money is leaking out. And um, I find that a lot of times it, it leaks out with the people that you are working with the most. So you have students who are coming to see you six, eight times a week. Those are the students that you've either discounted so much or you're not charging enough for you know, your shoes or you have studio gear and you, you, know, you give them a 20% discount on top of the discounts of tuition and this and that. And then the next thing you know, you're actually losing money on the students who are actually the most passionate and could be your best customers, so to speak. So a lot of times the recreational children who are taking one class a week tend to be the ones that are most profitable. You know, we, we look at that, it sounds a little odd. Well, they're only paying me, you know, so much a month. Um, but the fact is that we don't offer them as many, you know, perks for coming as recreational students. So that that's number one. So if you are losing money in your business right now, first of all, there's no judgment ever. And we've all done it. And I know where it comes from. It comes from a place of, of just the love of the arts and wanting to give back and making sure every child, no matter who you know their parents are, no matter what the circumstances are, that they get to dance if they want to dance. And that's that's just how we are. Hands up. I was totally guilty, wasn't I, Dawn? 100% guilty of... It was my kids doing 10, 11 classes a week. And when we figured it out, they're getting them for like three pounds a class, which is insane, yes. isn't it? It is because when we add everything up, you, you need to know what it costs your studio to run an hour. And a lot of times we don't know what that is. We just know what our studio costs us a month. So, mm -hmm. you know, you know what your rent, your utilities and those things are over the course of a month. But when we really dug down, it you know, if you remember that very painful exercise of, you know, what is it really costing me to keep the studio open every single 
hour, including teaching, you know, my dance teacher, if you have another teacher, your labor, your time, you know, and it ends up being a lot. Sometimes it's, you know, 40, 50 pounds an hour is what it costs you. So if your students are only paying three pounds an hour and you have five students in there, you're paying them to come to class. And it just, it, it turns out that way. And, you know, those are places where it becomes frustrating as a dance teacher because you want to be able to make a living. You want to be able to continue to, to share your talents and your arts, but you can't do that when you are paying students to come to class. And, you mm-hmm. know, we hear it from parents and, um, you know, in full disclosure, I am a dance instructor myself. I still teach only one day a week. I'm teaching dance camp this week though, I am going to teach dance camp here in the United States. But, you know, I also had a studio under contract for the army under NAP. I mean, so I've done a lot of different things and I can tell you that, you know, our parents are always like, well, gosh, it's so expensive, right? So the parents always want to tell you they're spending so much money on these extracurricular activities without really understanding that this isn't soccer, that we're developing the individual talents of somebody. And somebody could be a very talented soccer player. And when you get a team of 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 people or football over there, um, you know, you can charge 100 pounds per kid for the season. And how much is that when you have 50 kids versus for us, that just doesn't even start to begin to cover mm-hmm. all of our rent, all of our utilities, all of our, now with COVID specialty cleaning, you know, students, attire, dance teachers. I don't think parents necessarily mean anything by it when they say, my gosh, dance school is so expensive. But the reality is, is that they really sat down and broke it down and thought about it. It is actually no more than anything else their kids could be doing. And I think we take it very personally when we hear things like that, because it's our baby, it's our studio, it's our, it's our thing. And so, you know, they say something along the lines of, wow, you know, tuition is so expensive here. And we feel bad, but then you look at it and you're paying, you know, let's say a hundred pounds, but instead of doing two practices a week for 30 minutes playing football. They're getting five classes a week. Each one is, you know, 45 yeah. minutes. And you start to add up the amount of time. And it's really not that much. It's, it's no different. I think the, the tricky thing I think parents struggle to understand and we don't quite communicate to them sometimes is the kid, they, they just see their kid comes to dance. Um, that's one activity. They don't go, well, but she's doing ballet, tap jazz, modern, they're not going, oh, she's doing four activities. And really they are four separate activities. They're four separate genres, but they just see she does dance and it costs me a hundred pounds a month. They don't see they've got four separate things there for that money. So they compare it to something like football where they just go once a week and they think, oh, it's really, but I think we need to communicate better to the parents as well. I think we do. And I think um, breaking it down uh, the way we were talking about somebody taking core classes to maybe become competition team or, you know, uh, show team or something like that. Kids who are really passionate about the dance are going to move out of that recreational um, status as quickly as they can. So, you know, I've had competition students as as young as kindergarten here in the United States, so five, six years old, uh, where they were just so passionate about it and that was their thing. Now, five or six years old, we're not doing, you know, eight classes a week, right? We have to be realistic about what a five-year-old can do, um, uh-huh. but they were in a, in a show team or they were in a competition team 
where we did appropriate choreography, appropriate lesson sizes and, and lengths um, to allow them to be very successful going out there as performers, which is what we're training. And, you know, when we have kids like that, we don't tell the parents, I'm sorry, this particular class, I believe you call it troop class, we call it competition class, whatever. It's like, no, we're teaching choreography. That is a completely different skill than teaching tendus. That's a very different skill than teaching, you know, it's where are they going to learn formation changes while moving? It's going to be in these classes over here. And I think, Uh you know, we expect that parents either have a dance background because they were raised in it and they understand, or they have no idea, and so we don't bother sharing. Um, And I think that that, to our fault, I guess, we should be maybe explaining what these are, maybe a little handout that says, ballet, this is what it is. Everybody thinks they know what ballet is, but when you tell them it's the foundation of all the dance genres, and then it teaches, you know, body mechanics and certain things, then they go, oh, that's why they have to take ballet, even though they only compete in hip hop. So when we start to over explain that way, I think we definitely give them a lot more of an informed, um, I guess, reasoning for the prices that we charge. And when we are able to do that, people are much more willing to pay what we need to be paid in order to keep the studio open and functioning. Because if we're not paid that amount of money, how do we keep the doors open? Then nobody gets to I mean, that's super duper interesting because I did, I'm quite passionate about sharing, you know, what other things that children get from dance classes other than the obvious we teach them how to dance you know and I did a whole thing last summer of hashtag dance classes do and I think the more you share you know especially on your social media if you can do videos and stuff so like explaining the value that they get and I think actually lockdown has taught a lot of our parents how much our children get from dance classes because they're like whoa you know when it's taken away from them in in the form they usually know it you know, it really teaches them value. So now it's our job to to keep that in their in their brains, you know, remind them. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's amazing. Dance dance classes do. I that that's a fantastic approach to educating parents. I know that when we have, you know, three and four year olds in a class together, some can skip and some cannot. It's not until you break it down to a parent. It's like, no, they have to stand on one foot and that one foot's got to hold all their weight and they're hopping and they're and all of a sudden they're like, Oh, it never occurred uh-huh. to me that skipping had all of these elements to it. And that's why three-year-olds like to do it on one foot and not the other sometimes or whatever. And it's very interesting because a lot of times they see, the, at least in the very beginnings of dance, it's just kind of playtime. It's just fun. And they don't see it as, no, we're developing the dancer. We're developing the body mechanics and the you know muscle memory and things. So I think mm-hmm. that's amazing that you're already sharing all of that stuff. But if you're not sharing all of that stuff, that could be a reason people may be pushing back on your prices. Want to make sure that you are sharing so that they don't push back on what you really need to make. You know, rule number one is we don't lose money. So you need to know what it costs you to be in business every single hour. And if anybody listening here doesn't know how to do that or doesn't know what that is, literally take and add everything together that it costs you for the month, divide it by the number of days that you're open in the month, and that'll be what you need to make each day. And then by the number of classes that you have, and a lot of dance studios were open five hours, right? Three to eight. 
three to nine. Uh, we're not open these eight, 10 hour days like you would be in a regular corporation. So you might think you know what you need to make a day, but when you really sit down and look at, oh, I'm only open from three to 8.30 on Thursday, that's five and a half hours, not eight. So make sure mm -hmm. you know what it's costing you every hour to be open so that you can look at your classes. I have a minimum class size rule. So I like to have a minimum number of students in class to let a class go. That is completely your discretion always. But if you don't have a minimum class size or if you don't know what you're making, you know, it could be costing you $22 to keep the studio open and you'll be making, you know, 15, something like that. Then it's really, it's costing you money to be in business. I mean, on on day, if for those of you that have done um, my seven day studio health check, we literally touch on it and all we add up together in studio in the day one of the health check is the teacher's wages and the hall height. And that for me is shocking enough to go, whoa, I need that much just to cover that. But that doesn't include any of the other bits like music licenses, insurance, yes. toilet paper, <laughs> you know, and that was the amazing thing that I did with Dawn. And if you want to dive, I mean, we only touch on the surface, surface in the studio health check, but if you want to dive deeper and really know your, your numbers, Dawn is your lady, you know, you need to, to get together with her and and um she will put it all down onto paper for you it is a shock and I think lots of us as dance teachers hide away from it because we know it's going to be a scary number but it needs to be done yeah once we know what that number is then from there we can put a plan in place you know it I think what, what um, I run into a lot is people don't want to cut their classes you know it's like they only have three kids who want to take you know jazz four but they love it and they're passionate about it. And they just, you know, they don't want to give those, they don't want to disappoint the kids. Um, the reality though, is the studio health is so critically important as you pointed out. Otherwise, nobody gets to dance. Nobody is mm -hmm. going to get to have the opportunity to participate. And, you know, there are things like combining classes. And you and I have talked about some specialty classes that you can do to increase just skill building in a specialized class where kids can come at different levels to work on skills. So there are lots of different ways that you can do this that can support these advanced students if you don't have enough of them in the beginning to support, you know, a full class. So, mm. you know, yeah, those numbers, they can feel a little scary at first, but if you just don't address them, you will not be in business much longer. You're just, you're going to end up out of business. And a lot of studios close because they can't make the money. And, you know, scholarships are another one. So raise your hand if you give scholarships to your more advanced students who really want to come, who can't afford it. <laughs> Um, raise your hands. So yeah, scholarships, <laughs> scholarships are another way that we can sometimes lose money. You know, there are did some different things. I taught for tuition when I was in high school in the United States. So once I got to a certain level, in order for me to afford my extra classes, I actually became a demonstrator in class and I was paid to be a demonstrator. So I ended up being like a teacher's assistant in some of the larger classes. So we were actually able to have more students in some of the recreational classes. Now that is a business model that I haven't um, really 
done a lot with because my studio now anyway the kids I don't have that large of a number um, I have all recreational students I do no more competition I did for years and I loved it but I'm old <laughs> so now I don't do it as much I don't travel every weekend but you know you can do that also if you have these senior students that want this additional stuff you know see if you can't bring them in as demonstrators you can bring them in as teacher's assistants and that can offset some of their tuition and that'll allow you to actually maybe add three more rec kids in there. So you're actually going to be making up whatever you're paying them and it's going to support their ability to continue to come to more classes. So that's, that's just another, idea. yeah, it's just another way that we can leverage the older children and give them more dance experience if we don't have enough children, enough da uh, senior dancers to kind of make a whole class go, we can we can find mm -hmm. a different few ways to substitute that and, you know, give them scholarships and those things, having them working as dancers. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a great idea. And I, I've also recently found in the UK a lot of, there's a lot of grants and funding out there to help um, students who want to undertake a particular skill and don't have the money to do that so I always try and encourage your parents to seek those out first I think <gasps> they they see our jobs as a hobby and so they think oh well of course she can give us a bit of free tuition you know this isn't a real job <laughs> you know but if we can give them the tools to go out and you know hand yes. that task over to them first and say look he, the, these are these places that can help you get a bit of funding to do this you know seek those out first because you know it shouldn't always fall on our sh shoulders right. to give everyone dance you know as much we want to <laughs> yeah absolutely and um you know i didn't realize there were that many i, I wish we had them over here and we don't yeah. typically the grants will go to the studios here not to the parents mm -hmm. so the fact yeah. that you have studio or parent grants are fantastic yeah you know the other thing i want to talk about is who is losing money on dancewear costumes yeah, who's losing money on all those things? What I mean by losing money is maybe you you get your wholesale plus just a little bit more. But I've actually seen it where people forget things like shipping charges. They don't have, you know, things with their names on them. So the studio I work with now, you wear a black leotard and it has the name of the studio embroidered on there. And so we encourage, we require that for ballet class, they have pink tights, they have a black leotard. It could be either cap sleeve or you can wear a, you know, a, a tank, um, but it has the name of the studio on it. It says the Bachwell and it's, it's embroidered. And that was started, you know, by the owner there. I'm not an owner. I'm, an independent contract. I have my own classes and things, but I don't actually own the building. You know, so the, the children have to buy the uniform to be able to come to class. Mm -hmm. It has worked for different studios I've worked with when you get to a certain level. So let's say for recreation, it doesn't matter. But if you're going to come in as a competition student, you're going to be very serious about your craft. First of all, you shouldn't be wearing the same leotard five days in a row. If you come to the studio five days... Yep. Not at all. Um, <laughs> it just doesn't work. So we would encourage them to have two or three uniforms, no different than you would have a Girl Scout uniform or a soccer uniform. And that's how we would place, you know, we would say, you have to have a uniform to do anything else. 
you know, here you need to have a uniform to come to class. And we would explain to them, you know, we need to be able to see their lines, we need to be able to see their thighs, whatever, to really explain why. And that those are true statements. We do need to be able to see them, or otherwise we can't make corrections. But, you know, we would charge for those uniforms. And the kids would buy two or three uniforms at the beginning of the year. And you can have them embroidered or you can just have a good place to go and buy them. And um, if you have them embroidered, like I think it costs us $5 a leotard to have them embroidered with your studio name on them, then you can actually charge up a little bit and sell those uniforms. So we would sell the uniforms and they're probably about $35 a uniform. And I think the studio probably pays... I don't know, like 16 or $18 by the time we get everything done. So it's not a lot, but when a kid buys two or three uniforms throughout the year and we have 10 kids doing that, that's an extra $450 to the studio. That kind of money can be siphoned off and put into an emergency fund, if you will, for things like COVID, which I hope never happens again, but your expenses for cleaning, your expenses for additional things you have to do to keep your kids safe and hand sanitizer and things, Things like that can be eaten up very, very quickly if you don't have these kind of little pots of money where you're making a little extra and having it set aside. And there's ways to do that outside of tuition is to have these additional little lines of income that you should have. Like private lessons is one, you know, charging for uniforms is another one. And I'm not saying gouging. I'm just saying, you know, making sure that the studio health is being protected. and not unreasonably. It is not unreasonable to, you know, demand a kid has a uniform to come to dance class any more than it's unusual, reasonable for them to have a uniform for soccer or for cheerleading or for swimming. Of course you have to have a uniform. So I don't Do know, you know why. I'm really proud is, is lots of us, um, our uniform is very generic. And so our parents will go online and just purchase it cheaper elsewhere. Um, so I'm definitely going to protect myself. That's something I really took away from, you know, our conversation together. I'm going to protect myself by going and getting printed uniform because why shouldn't we make the money? This is our business, you know, and the tuition doesn't pay for when there's a hole in the roof and there's a leak, you know, it doesn't cover no, those no. things. So it's these extra bits that help cover those. Right. And, you know, the... The whole uniform thing, again, you wouldn't show up to football club without a printed uniform. No. You just wouldn't. So it's okay to go and get uh, – we had some different rules. So for your your core classes for competition team, you wore a uniform. That was the rule, just like you would wear a uniform for football. But if you came to one of our additional skill-building classes and things like that, you had free-for-all. You could wear whatever you wanted. So there was also some freedom and expression in what you were wearing, but not during certain types of – you know, pedagogy, we needed to be able to see, we needed everyone to look the same. And so, you know, there was some license there to be able to do those things. But a lot of us, we just, we overlooked that. We let the parents just go and order whatever online and, you know, oh, it's not a recital uniform, let them order whatever. We are actually leaking money out that way. And we are losing, you know, our ability to recover some of those lines of income Um, that are, again, they're just not unreasonable. They're not unreasonable because everybody does it everywhere else except for dance and dance for some reason. (laughs) We think it's okay to go to Discount Dance Supply or go to Amazon and not recover anything to our own studio. 
you know, and the effort and time it takes for ordering in, I know it sounds crazy, but you've got to pay someone for that time or, you know, and why shouldn't you pay for, even if it's yourself, why shouldn't you pay yourself for that time of sitting down and placing orders every week? You know, this is your job. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. If they don't have the equipment, they can't do the activity. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I, I think it's the way that we see ourselves. And I think one of the reasons is because we see ourselves as artists, not as like athletes. I think we see ourselves as more, you know, the arts are generation. The arts are for everyone. And I've heard this from other studio owners. I have heard this uh, from other people. Well, you know, I'm an artist. And we have this idea that we need to be starving artists. Who's heard that before, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. we, sh- we, we shouldn't be making money doing what we love because we're artists. Uh-huh. Givers, uh, and that's amazing. Until you can't make your car note, and all of a sudden you're taking the bus and walking everywhere because you were so giving. And there's nothing wrong with having an income goal as a studio, as a teacher, mm-hmm. and you know, backing into that goal and saying, "What am I going to have to include or do this year to make the amount of money that I want to make?" And a lot of times. Mm-hmm. You know, we just hope to get the kid. You know, well, I just hope to have 70 kids in my in my studio this year or 200 kids or whatever. And we have these hopes. You know, I'm just such an artist. I hope I have people following me. And we don't actually lay it out there. Like, no, when you take ballet, everybody does a tendu the same way. You know, we are teaching skills and pedagogy and things that, you know, people really understood the foundations of everything that comes so that artistry can be built, you know, I think we would feel a little bit better about, you know, I'm just an artist. I should be starving. It's like, no, you have to be a technician as well. You should be paid for a technician, just like everybody else who's teaching kids skills. And that I think is for us anyway, it's a, I think it's just a mindset change for the industry. Definitely. I think a lot of us have this guilt of, charging for something we love to do I think and especially because it involves children as well I think that's what makes it the hardest you know we don't want to see the kids miss out and it took me ages to get over the whole well if they haven't paid they don't come in you know my friend used to say to me they haven't paid they don't come in and I was like no 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 because then the child misses out and she's like but that is not your fault that's that parent's fault you know that's not your that's not your guilt and it is a complete mindset change isn't it it's 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 all about how you think about things and it does take a bit of practice I think it does I so my my big guilty story is I placed costume order one of my first years in business without deposits so I got stuck with a couple of really adorable recital costumes that I couldn't wear (laughs) 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 just they hadn't gotten paid for the parents just you know and I ordered them anyway because I just expected that they would pay for the costumes when they got there and all of a sudden those kids mysteriously disappeared from class and they weren't coming anymore and so the next thing you know what's the return policy on you know costumes it's not very generous so you know I ended up with some really cute costumes that I ended up actually donating um as play things to other kids i couldn't even resell them um so yeah i mean we we have to become much more mindful about this is a business it's a business where we are blessed 
to be able to do what we love and to work with kids all the time. And we are lucky that we were given the talent to be able to make it as a dancer and as a dance teacher. But yes, this is a business first and foremost. And if you don't want to run the business, that's fine. You should teach for someone else. If you're not comfortable doing the business side of business, you really, you can still do your craft. You can still do what you love, but you should be doing it under somebody else's business because otherwise, ultimately things happen like this. You get upset and bitter. You start to really dislike the parents. Anytime they complain, you start to feel resentful. Like you're complaining, mm-hmm. I couldn't pay my light bill. You're complaining, yes. I couldn't get my oil changed in my car for the last six months. You know, those kinds of things. Because we get to the point where we can't even pay ourselves anymore. And if we started paying ourselves at all, that's the other one. Sometimes yes. we just don't even, we love it so much that we would just do it for free. And we say that to ourselves, well, I would teach for free. So we have that attitude about, you know, well, I don't need to worry about this. And, you know, if that's not something that's in your zone of genius, that's okay. You can learn. But if it's something that you don't want to have to deal with, don't open your own studio. Go work for someone else. You know, go charge per hour, what your value is, you know, explain to them what you are going to work for, but you know, don't, don't undertake something this big because here's the thing. The kids are going to fall in love with you. In my humble opinion, it's your responsibility that you do undertake something like this, that you do this seriously. And for the long term. you're going to have kids that start with you when they're four and they're going to stay with you till they're 14 and they're Mm -hmm. going to go off to college. And I have I have raised several dancers who are now dance teachers. I have one who is the high school dance teacher in the town where I used to teach. She came back and she actually teaches the dance and she's the drill instructor as well for dance and drill team. You know, I started with her when she was about seven and now she's, yeah. So I, I worked with her forever and ever and ever. And we're still friends on Facebook, but you know, when you have that kind of impact to be open for two or three years and then to get just, I don't know, close and, and to be bitter about it, it doesn't serve anyone. And so the first thing you have to do in this, this is a calling, being a dancer is a calling, is you know to make sure that you're in a place where not only can you serve, but you have the, the understanding that you are serving in the long term when you undertake opening a studio. Because these mm-hmm. kids are going to fall in love with you. They just do. You are their teacher. You are their dance educator. Whatever classes they end up with, they go to your school. Kids, you know, latch onto a dance school and they're there typically for their entire educational career if they stay. So I just find that very important that we get these mindsets right. And um, I appreciate, you know, giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit about some of these big profit leaks because I don't want to see studios going under. So many talented people, you know, they do end up going out of business and it's not because they're not talented and amazing or because they're bad business people. They just, they don't pay attention typically to the business side of business. They think it's all going to work out because the parents are going to all pay on time. (laughs) And they don't. They don't. You know, no, they don't. And, And I almost lost my own studio two or three years ago for that reason I turned up at my premises and the locks were changed because I'd been too kind of given discounts I'd let people come for free given scholarships out and that then 
meant I couldn't meet my own financial commitments and my heart broke, you know, and I was fortunate that I was able to pick up and carry on, but it taught me a massive lesson, you know, it could have been a very different story. Yes. And you serve a lot of children. So had that been your story, a lot of people in your community would not have had this opportunity to continue dancing. And I think Mm -hmm. if we undertake it with that responsibility that we must be good business people because we are serving a larger community of, of people that that might be something that we can think about or look at the next time we decide, no, don't worry about it. We say that a lot. No, 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 don't worry about it. Take it, get it next month. You can pay those next month. You know, I think we need to be a little bit more, no, we need to take care of this today or I'll put it on your next bill, but it won't be next month or something like that. So absolutely. It's a whole change of mindset, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> it really is. And, you know, it's, I, I find that sometimes because we're artists, people get wrinkles about that. They get a little offended when I say mm-hmm. you need to get paid, you need to pay yourself, you need to make money teaching, you know, and that does wrinkle people a little bit. They do get a little offended sometimes. But the fact is, is it is our responsibility if we're going to open a studio and serve to serve and to be willing to do the things we have to do you know, to meet our own obligations. Like you said, you have to pay your rent, you have to pay your water. And if that takes multiple lines of business, whether it's teaching private lessons or charging for uniforms or having drop-in days, open houses. I actually have a few studios that I know of that do birthday parties, they do dance parties. And, you know, the birthday girl is usually a student at the studio or a couple of her friends. And then people who are not dance studios, Um, students will come to this party and they'll do a hip hop class or something. So there are lots of different ways that you can make additional money with different lines of business. And Mm -hmm. you just need to be open-minded to what your, what your parents want, but also what you're willing to offer to make sure you can get the doors open. I used to have um, what we call in the UK, like a stay and play session. So it's for under fives. They come, you put a load of toys out, we make them coffee and they used to just come and play with the toys. And then, you know, it became so popular and many of the mums then signed their kids up for classes. I mean, it was something that's nothing to do with dance. It was just a play session, but you know, it got our name out there and got us known and they invited them into the studio. It was a really good you know, start, it, it didn't make thousands, but it was a great way to feed into the school and, and the right. mums really loved it. And people found us who might not necessarily have found us otherwise. Right. Yes. That, that is amazing. That is mm-hmm. amazing because it wasn't a mom and me, the parents didn't have to feel obligated. It was just a drop in, right? Yeah. You'd like come let your kid play with the toys. We'll make you a nice cup of coffee and you can have half an hour's peace while they trash our studio. <laughs> With I love toys. that. <laughs> oh, I love that. I've never heard. I honestly have never heard anything like that. I'm, I'm, I'm used to like the mom and me classes over here for two and yeah. three year olds and things. I had not heard of that before. That's yeah. Amazing. Well, it was just my kind of idea of how can I use this space in the day and how can I target an even younger age group than the mama and me classes, you know? And I thought, well, they're not really going to bring their baby to a dance class. So I used to do that. And then I used to do baby music classes as well. We've stopped those at the moment, but it's definitely when we move into our a new studio space, it's definitely something I'm going to get going again because it was a really fun thing to do as well. 
Yeah, those are great ideas. Those are great ideas. And again, they're multiple lines of income. They may not make thousands, but they make something. Yes. And once you get your finances organized and you know where your money is coming from in each line of business, you can decide, you can give it a purpose. And you can say, all the money I get from these drop-in classes is going over here and it's going to pay for a new something whatever it is, or all this money over here is going to pay for that. You can segregate your money out and give it a purpose. And when you do that, all of a sudden, it doesn't feel so bad to be charging money because you have a to-do list of things you need money for. Like you said, a new roof or whatever. If you own the building, there's always maintenance to be done. Floors need to be refinished unless you're using Marley. So, you know, there's always something that has to be taken care of. And like you said, tuition isn't going to take care of it. So creativity and and multiple lines of uh, business or multiple streams of income are, it's a critically important part of owning a studio anymore, whether we like it or not. (laughs) Yeah, we we don't like those bits, but they're there. Uh, But I'd love to know, you were just telling me about, um, before we came onto the call, about your, um, your new course that you've got going on which I'd love you to tell everybody about because um, okay. it sounds fabulous thank you so it's called first steps to profit not just income and it's actually moving people to understanding the difference between just generating revenue in your business and then income so we will identify you know again what you need your minimums that you need some ideas about things like emergency funds a cyclical fund thing so basically what we're doing is we're going to get your organized finance your finances completely organized we're going to learn all of our numbers as scary as that sounds we're going to learn all our numbers and then we're going to start putting some you know tools in place to protect our business and our business money at whatever level we happen to be and of course as you know from working with me I'm all about writing your own paycheck and making sure that you're being taken care of as the entrepreneur so of course that'll all be covered as well so first steps of profit is available it's $27 so it, it's, it's almost a $300 course, but I made it $27 and I designed it for creatives specifically because I really don't want to see creatives losing money anymore. You have such a, a talent and a gift to give to the world. And I understand the business side of business isn't, isn't always, you know, in our zone of genius, but, you know, I'd love to see more and more studios have more financial confidence especially in the beginning, so that they're making those right decisions to grow and make their studios into their vision. So Definitely. I mean, it sounds fantastic. And I think I know lots of studio owners at the moment might be a little bit nervous about spending money when things are a little bit uncertain. But, you know, I can definitely say that from doing the course with you myself that I've already seen massive changes and it's been within a few weeks. You know, I'm already feeling a lot more um, coronavirus comfortable I'll say I'll call it that (laughs) you know I don't feel the pressure anymore I was sweating a bit about six weeks ago you know I was really stressed about the finances and I think you know it's definitely been the best investment I've made so thank you Dawn because it was an incredible course and and the fact that you're making it um, more widely available to dance teachers is just incredible so you know I'm grateful that you're you're giving that to our industry and community Well, thank you. Yeah. And if anybody wants to look at their numbers one-on-one, I'm available for that as well. But this here is just a really good first start 
to get your head out of the sand, if you will. A lot of us, we just like to ignore it. We just think it's all going to be okay. And parents are going to pay and we're just going to pay ourselves and everything's going to be great. And, you know, unfortunately, that's just not business. And one thing that we have to remind ourselves too, when money gets tight, you know, what are one of the first things to go with extracurricular activities for the children? So having a mind that I need to protect my business and make sure that I'm okay, that if it goes down or something happens, you know, I'm not going to be suffering and my studio doesn't suffer. You did a very, very good job of that by the way that you structured, you know, people paying over one year. And um, Mm -hmm. putting them on payment plans, which is really, really amazing. But not everybody, I think, knows how to do that. No. So Yeah, I think, you know, now's the time. I've definitely been very passionate throughout this whole lockdown about, you know, there's so much we can't do at the moment as studio owners, but there's a lot that we can do. And I definitely think sitting down and looking at your finances and making your business really secure for the future is definitely something everybody should do. Yes, Yes. If if you don't do it, there's there's not a good likelihood that you're going to be in it for the long haul. You might make it for a year or two. You might earn your mistakes. But the first time something really happens, you know, we're not going to be we're not going to be able to recover is the big problem. And that's a scary prospect. Well, thank you so much, Dawn. That's been incredible. And I'm sure everyone's taken a lot of value from what you've said today. And if you are pop Dawn's email address and details in the comments, if anybody would like to schedule a session with her or find out more about her courses, um, then you can do so there. But thank you so much, Dawn. Thank you.